Hello, and welcome to Be the Serpent, a podcast of extremely deep literary merit, with your classy and sophisticated hosts, Alexandra Rowland, Freya Mosk, and Jennifer Mace. On today's episode, we're discussing just one tentpole. We're doing a deep dive on The Witcher TV show. Hello, and welcome to episode 67, Toss a Coin to Your Serpents. I'm Alex, and I am Yaskier's unnecessarily tight pants. <laughs> I'm Freya, and I am all of Tissaia's amazing high collared gowns. I'm Macy, and I am Simi's amazing giant brown skirt pants outfit thingamy, but like before the mud. We are three red-headed fantasy authors. And today, Macy, right immediately before recording, caught her foot stuck in her cardigan somehow. And we were derailed. We were derailed for like five whole minutes while she untangled herself. Fuck off, Alex, my dignity! What, what lasting shreds of it I have! <laughs> no. <laughs> wow. Uh, okay, but in all seriousness, today we're going to be t- doing a deep dive on The Witcher, which I think is a wonderful show. We'll get into that in a moment. But before we do that, what are we reading, fellow serpents? I have recently done a whole run through lots of novellas by P.J. Lee Clark. Mm. So I read The Black God's Drums. I read an arc of Ring Shout, which is the novella he has out later this year, which Mm. is about Buffy if Buffy was a young black girl in the 1920s and the Ku Klux Klan were actually demons. It's it's amazing. Definitely check it out. But I was really, really impressed by The Haunting of Tramcar 015, which is on the Hugo Ballot for novella Mm. this year, and is a fantastic urban fantasy procedural about two investigators of the supernatural who have to deal with a tramcar in sort of steampunk supernatural Cairo Mm. that has become possibly possessed by an evil spirit. I enjoyed it. It's a it's a fucking romp. It's really enjoyable. The world building is incredible. So that was sort of the highlight of my reading. I also read the new Talia Hibbert romance novel, Take a Hint, Danny Brown, which is about a young witchy academic who is very excited about an upcoming panel where she gets to be on the same stage as her academic uh, idol. Mm. And does not have time for romance, but she really is looking for a fuck buddy. Oh no. And then she (laughs) ends up agreeing to fake date the security guard at her building after they get caught in like a video meet cute that goes viral when he rescues her from an elevator during a fire drill. It's It's a complicated setup, but it's a really, really fun novel, like a really good rompy rom com. So I enjoyed that. I was worried you were going to say that she ended up accidentally fucking her academic idol. I mean, I would not have been surprised. Right? <laughs> the, the, the main character is canonically bisexual. And yeah, it's like she could have ended up. <laughs> it's not a rival, it's an idol. Her academic oh, yeah, idol. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, definitely, definitely recommend that. And uh, <laughs> in a somewhat surprising turn of events, is dear it? listeners, is it? you know how I occasionally have a weakness for sports a sports anime? anime? Yeah. yeah, I mean, who doesn't? Who doesn't? It's a mood. Yeah, this is a fact we know about me. And for many, many years, I have had friends recommending Haikyuu, the volleyball anime, of which two seasons exist on Netflix, 
And a week ago, I knew absolutely oh nothing about volleyball <laughs> beyond the fact that you have to get the ball over the net, possibly. And you spike mark. things. Uh, yeah, and the word spike is possibly involved. It's a good word. It's a good word. <laughs> and nearly 50 episodes oh later, God. I could now probably hold down oh a reasonably coherent conversation about volleyball strategy. <laughs> that is how sports anime oh do. God. Yeah, it is how they do. It is amazing how compelling you can find a single volleyball match between oh two boys' high school teams that is stretched out over five 25-minute oh episodes. Fucking Prince of Tennis has a lot Because every so often article. you'll just freeze on the ball and they'll have a five-minute flashback. <laughs> Incredible. Before the ball Incredible. even falls. There's nothing we don't There's love about this. It's it's, yeah. Oh, look, it's, it's really happy and optimistic and it's about friendships and believing in yourself and you know sometimes you just need a pure hit of teenage boys and their friendship feelings about sports ball i have a question do they have special gravity moves like gravity defying volleyball moves that have like crazy names yes but i think they are not quite they're not quite within the same realm of unreality oh. as some. Like, okay. these are actual volleyball moves that people do. So they haven't sure. got completely stupid names. <laughs> so, like, nothing that's going to cause the extinction of the dinosaurs. <laughs> no. Will we ever no. stop roasting Prince of Tennis? No. We no, we will not. Anyway. Anyway. Macy. Anyway. Yeah, really... <laughs> Let's move on. Macy. Your, your, your ability to now umpire a volleyball game is reminding me of the number of like nerd snipe conversations with dude bros that I've won about the exact details of the various Robins that Batman once owned because of rather <laughs> okay. a lot of smutty fanfic that I've read over the years. Ah, um, yeah, fair the enough. reason I know that there were that many Robins. Um, anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Yes, I've read some books. Um, We're all very proud of me. I remembered how to read, um, which was a challenge for a while there, but I think I've regained it. I read a couple of novellas. Um, So I read an arc of The Order of the Pure Moon Reflected in Water by Zen Cho, which is a great found family wuxia bandit rump. And it's romp, ramp, rimp, something. That was a vowel in that word. (laughs) Romp. Uh, and I strongly recommend it. It has all sorts of genderqueer moods in it and a terrible nun. She's not very good at being a nun. Um, I love her. Um, and I also read Ring Shout, which Freya, I could have sworn you were reading Ring Shout like a month and a half ago. No, I had Ring Shout ah. a month and a half ago. And then I decided I need to read P. Jelly Clark's other stuff first. I did not decide mm. that because I'm lazy. Um, but P. Jelly Clark is amazing, as I've known since the Nine Negro Teeth of George Washington, which was in Fireside mm-hmm. a while back. Anyway, Ring Shout, it's great. I would call it a horror novella, frankly. So, like, mm, fair definitely. warning, there's a lot of body horror in it. It's got a lot in common thematically with The City We Became. Mm. Which I haven't In terms of the level of horror. Like, it's kind of Lovecraftian, but not. That's a different episode. Yeah, there was a lot of, like, (laughs) mouths emerging from various body parts you don't expect mouths to be on, um, which is always... I know someone who literally loves that, and I have to go recommend it to them after this episode. (laughs) Anyway, other books, I've read two more novels as well as those. Um, I read The Wild Dead by Carrie Vaughan, which has no zombies in it, which I feel is rude given that title. Like, if you're going to call something The Wild Dead, there should be zombies, right? Sure, yeah. But it's a post-apocalyptic, gentle murder mystery um, set in the same world as her other book, uh, Banalus. Um, Mm -hmm. And then I also read Wild Seed by Octavia Butler, 
finally. Um, it's about 50 years old and I'm slow. Uh, but it was amazing, which is kind of this sci-fi, like, historical epic that spans maybe 500 years um, and talks a lot about, like, extremely powerful beings who originate in Africa as Africans and sort of deal with the transatlantic slave trade and the colonies in America and trying to kind of shape their future in a way that they want. And mm. it's the scale is just mind-boggling, but she writes so cleanly that you just blink and you finish the book. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. She's so good. She's very good. She's very good. And I also read a few hundred thousand words of Nartofic. Because Wonderful. there are infinite many words of Nartofic. Th that's true. <laughs> yep. And when you run out of them, you can just start over again. It's, it's true. Uh, I have been just doing 100% comfort stuff this week. I have mostly watching things because I am um, pressing really, really hard to get this big knitting project mm. uh, finished. It's uh, really so cool, I can... listeners. It's, it's really very cool. cool. Yes, uh, so that I can move on to a different huge <laughs> project. I've decided to take up quilting, uh, which I have never done before, but I do all the other fiber arts, so it should Alex. be fine. Uh, <laughs> uh, I watched. I'm gonna like play a clip back to Alex <laughs> yeah, right? in like a month's time, which just is. I do all the other fiber arts. It should, it be, should fine. be fine, and then just play it on a loop while you cry about quilting. Do you make lace? Um, I haven't, but I have watched YouTube videos on how to do it, and I was almost tempted into buying some bobbins to make bobbin lace because it goes click 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 really fast. Um, and I recommend watching some YouTube videos about bobbin lace making. Scribes, take care of it. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> scribes, we put ourselves in your hands. In your hands, Scribes. As uh, we always do. As we always do. Thank you, Scribes. We love you. Um, <laughs> anyway, so I have been uh, watching things on Netflix. I watched more episodes of Rookie Historian Gu Hairyong, which I think I recommended on a previous episode, but I had only watched two episodes at that point, so I didn't really know what it was about. It's about this young girl who gets hired to be a palace um, record keeper. Uh, that's what they mean by historian. And so, like, her job is to just follow the ro royal family around and, like, take notes on everything that they're doing and literally everything that they say. Oh, God. Um, and the second-born prince... Uh, has been, like, shut in here in, like, a special area of the palace and he's not allowed to leave because, like, of some stuff that his dad is mad at him about. His dad, the emperor, obviously. Um, but he's secretly a romance novelist. Uh, and he writes very, very bad romance novels. And so she has read one of them and she's like, this is shit. Uh, and then they become, like, sort of bros who like constantly snark at each other and she has to like follow him around like annoyingly taking notes on everything he's saying um and i guess they're gonna fall in love but right now they're just sort of like hanging out and having a good time they solved a smallpox plague by um discovering well not discovering but uh reading about variolation in a book so <laughs> that was pretty cool um also like watching this i was like why is all why are all historical k-dramas set in the joseon era so i looked it up and it's because the joseon era lasted 500 years so <laughs> that's why okay. um i also am re-watching the untamed uh i again again um i needed it uh and yep. Uh, and also I read a really good fic called uh, This River Runs to You by Sundiscus, which is an untamed fic where uh, 
Wei Shan is your local curse breaker, and Lan Wenji is a shape-shifting dragon. Uh, I refer you, darling. <laughs> I refer you, darling listeners, to our episode about Several dragons, dragon fucking. dragons who turn into people, so you can fuck them. Um, <laughs> Not generally why they do that, but sure. But sure, yes. Uh, and obviously, I rewatched The Witcher this week, which was good timing because here we are having an episode about it. But before we do I've that, I also had a dragon that turned into a human that you probably could fuck. Also, that I think I think to. that they had like a down. threesome going on, like the the yeah. dragon and his two bodyguards, his two very hot bodyguards. Anyway, we'll get to that. Yeah, uh, Freya, <laughs> you have something to tell us about. Yes, so this is episode sixty-seven, which means we are only a few episodes away from Ark's next extravaganza. We will be recording our next extravaganza on the evening of August 28th. So please get us any and all questions that you would like us to answer, things you would like us to ramble about, particular things that you know you really need to know based on either previous episodes, tropes, or things that are completely unrelated. Mm-hmm. We have a new policy that we will only be answering <laughs> questions that are accompanied by five-star iTunes reviews. No, this is not Absol- true. This is not true. Not Do true. not send us questions through iTunes reviews. Oh, I was going to see if I could just slide that through. <laughs> you have to leave the question in the iTunes review, no. listeners. No, no, just email it to <laughs> us. Just if you're in a country that none of us are in, and we will make sure to find an IP blocker so that we can pretend to be in that country so we can find your questions. Just email them to us, please. I'm <laughs> currently regretting letting Freya do the extravaganza announcement god okay dear <laughs> listeners i was just kidding you can get us any questions via our tumblr ask box via twitter or via email or discord not discord not discord <laughs> not off, itunes <laughs> reviews macy listen we've been talking for like 13 minutes now and we haven't started the episode <laughs> macy tell us about the witcher okay so the witcher is a tv show about hedgehog julius caesar um, who yes. Catches religion. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> uh, anyway, you said this was going to be a wrong summary, but the problem is you don't know that he's Hedgehog Julius Caesar. <laughs> <laughs> Hedgehog Julius Caesar is a very important character. Yeah, but you don't know the Julius Caesar just half see- just based on the show. <laughs> the only reason I knew that that was at all an important character in any way is because the yeah. word Duny has appeared in some fan fiction that I have read. Anyway, darling listeners, your serpents come to the Witcher knowing only what we have gleaned from extensive, study. extensive study of Astolat's Witcher fanfic. Yes, correct. Which is all about Geralt getting fucked by Hedgehog Julius Caesar. Correct. correct. And occasionally also about like the bard being turned into a frog yeah that happens yes which i feel is justified after watching this show i think so Um, (laughs) i would agree if you have been living somewhere other than in our minds uh for the past (laughs) six months which for your sake i really hope i really hope because it's messy in here um the witcher is a tv show based on a series of polish books um, by a novelist whose name we did not bother to put in the notes, which we should have done because we're terrible human beings. But you should buy the books because I hear that they're great. Um, oh. In which a stoic uh, monster hunter... Andrzej is... Sapkowski. Thank you. Andrzej Sapkowski. Okay. Ta-da. Ta-da. I Respect. had to Google it. <laughs> because we're the worst. I'm we're the sorry, worst. Andrzej Sapkowski. I'm really sorry. We're just on fire today, also, though. Also, how we're pronouncing your name, I'm sure we're terrible. Yeah, a quarter it. of the way into the episode. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Geralt of Rivia 
is the main character of this show. His job is to punch monsters in the face until they stop eating people. Mm-hmm. Um, he There are two other main characters, a witch slash sorceress named Yennefer and a small child who must be Protec um, called Sibella. And mm. we love them all. Continue. We do. So the dot point that I added to this whole monstrosity was, is this show coherent enough to have themes? Discuss. And I think, I think it so. is. I think yeah, it is. I think it comes at some of them from a slightly messy perspective. and But some of them manage to shine through nonetheless. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I think that the inevitability of destiny is the big one. Because that's like right. the thing yeah. that they keep harping on the whole time. is like, oh, destiny. Like, you can't escape destiny. Um, and you see in, in, I think over the course of the show, you sort of see the hand of destiny uh, leading people together or apart or... or um, putting things in motion right because this is a world so the world building on this one is really great and you get kind of the edges of some extra stuff in this show which i think are in more depth in the books but um Geralt invokes a law called the law of surprise after he saves somebody's life Mm -hmm. and the rule then is whatever surprise that person gets next belongs to the person who called the law. Okay, so when I was reading the fan fiction for this, <laughs> they kept mentioning the law of surprise and like, yes, Cyrilla is mine through the law of surprise. And I was like, yeah. this seems like a very fancy, strangely translated thing. I'm sure it's something very imposing. And then they were like, literally, it's the next thing you see that you're surprised by. I'm like, are you serious? Right. <laughs> I mean, but that's like a very standard, like, powerful fairy tale trope. Oh, it is. Yes. I just oh, yes, feel is. like the, the word surprise is inherently a little bit silly. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, like, if they fair. called it, like, but, the law of the unknown or something like that. <laughs> sure. I mean, I guess the thing is that Geralt does not want this child. Um, Geralt doesn't think that he is suited to having this child, and so he tries to flee his destiny, and the child's actual family is totally down with this. Yeah. Yeah. They don't want to give her to some random person who runs around punching monsters. And this is one of, I would say, the central driving arcs of the entire season is this kind of the magnet and iron filings of Ciri and Geralt Mm -hmm. um, and trying to resist their destiny and having their destiny maneuver entire armies across continents to force them to submit to it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it does make a very good driving arc because it t- sets it up very neatly in the first episode. You need to find this person. You know, mm-hmm. Everyone that you love is dead. We're sending you away on a horse. You have to escape. You have to survive. You are the, the last remaining princess. Very classic fantasy. Yep. And they just say, here is the person you have to find. And so you know that there is, you are waiting for this to happen. And just knowing that as an audience gives you a great deal of patience for the slightly messy maneuverings that are going on because you know that it's pouring you all towards this certain point and i think you put these notes here freya about some other themes particularly the kindness of strangers yeah i think for a show that has a lot of violence and darkness it is surprisingly uncynical in right. the way it shows people relating to one another and how they treat one another. And Siri, this young girl who is on the run and loses her protectors one by one and has to find new protectors, constantly runs into people who volunteer to help her just out of the goodness right. of their heart. They say, well, you know, we're refugees as well. We don't have much, but you're welcome to come and sleep on our hearth and we'll give you some food. You know, we, we can only survive by being good to one another, which is an unusual right. thing to see in a show 
that has this kind of vibe, I suppose. And I mm-hmm. think that I was looking at these points and thinking a little bit about Geralt himself. Because Geralt, if you look at him visually and like listen to his lines of dialogue, Fuck. comes across very <laughs> Such as they are. Fuck. We have now recited all of Geralt's lines in the whole show. You're welcome. Anyway, if we, if you look at him though, he's a particular archetype of the the mercenary fantasy anti-hero. Mm, yeah. Right? Who wanders around stabbing things, who cares only about getting paid, who isn't going to go out of his way for anyone, who's kind of bitter and burned down, and that's not Geralt at all. He's actually shockingly kind. Mhm. He doesn't kill if he can possibly help it. He doesn't even kill people that everyone else thinks aren't human. Which I think, to me, is the biggest theme of this show, is the question of who is human and who gets to be people. Yes. Yeah, and I could feel that they were coming at this theme, but they didn't quite have the time and space to explore it properly. So they kept on Hmm. dipping into that in the individual episode arcs. Like, here's a subplot about elves, here's a subplot about dragons, here's a subplot about this. And they didn't have enough space to give you all of the world-building quite so you got these really interesting tastes of the way different races relate to one another but i didn't I mean, think they I could actually, quite pull it off i actually really liked that because for me it came across as something that was so baked into the world and the world building that it was ambient mm. right so because you get these little fractal bits it's the iceberg theory of world building right mm-hmm. Um, particularly in the very first episode, Geralt of Rivia, the mutant witcher, um, runs into the mutant runaway princess born under an eclipse, Renfri, who is my darling, and I have already married her in my heart. Correct. Um, she, <laughs> she stabs things a lot and knows what she wants and is always the boss, and I love her. And um, they bond with each other over being mutants over everyone looking at them and saying, that's not human. Mm -hmm. And I think that's one of the very first things that we are... It's the very first piece of characterization that we are given about Geralt and asked to empathize with, is this is a man who everyone around him is scared of and thinks is not human. Yep. And we see this with Ciri when she moves those glasses by her grandmother's table and you realize, oh, there's something strange about her, Mm -hmm. right? And Yen, nobody thinks Yen is human. So every single one of the three main characters has that as kind of one of their foundational aspects. Yeah. Yeah. And then on the converse side, you have Geralt doing things. Like, I'm specifically thinking of that scene where they're walking towards the dragon and Yaskier gets attacked by the little monster thing in the bushes mm. and the very bad knight like just chops the it in dreadful half knight. the mm. dreadful knight just chops it in, in half boy. and Geralt is like don't fucking kill it it was just hungry we could have just like fed it and it would have left it's not a monster it's just an animal like he's giving he's giving a amount of empathy and grace to this thing which he really didn't have to and when no one else in the group had realized that that was a thing that you could give empathy yeah, to. Yeah, I thought that was a very effective scene because it was it was somebody with a sword chopping up a monster. But mm-hmm. the way it was... Which we're meant to think is, yay, well done! Which is kind of what Geralt does. But the way it was framed, just this, like, spoiled boy yelling his head off and attacking something 
that wasn't really attacking back. And meanwhile, Geralt sort of just stands there being like, oh, I guess this is happening. And Yennefer stands there going, why did I attach myself to this idiot? (laughs) Oh, well, I guess I'm here now. Like, you got this sense of tired parents. Yeah. This, like, idiot yelling boy who just, yeah, Uh, wasn't treating. They're both, like, a hundred years old at that point. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, right. And it reminded me a little bit of the first adventure that Yaskier goes on with Geralt when they go up into the mountains and Geralt gets attacked by the sort of Minotaur-ish thing. Mm-hmm. I don't think we... Do we know what that it's is? A fawn? A fawn, sort of. maybe. Mm. Um, and fights it for a bit and then realizes it's intelligent. And it's like, I'm not going to kill it. And Yaskier's like, kill it, it's a monster. And it's like, no, it's just a person. We're going to talk to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And kind of bringing Yaskier onto his team and I think that the fact that Jaskier could see that point of view was why Geralt lets him tag along yeah mm. and there yes. is a lot of focus on the extent to which the monsters can or can't be human and mm. also where, where the source of that inhumanity comes from there's a lot of the sins of the parents being passed down so the episode with the mm. Striga oh, which God, is the yes. um, monster woman who was born of essentially an incestuous relationship between the king and his sister if I'm remembering that correctly yep. Yep. And Geralt has to fight her and she's in monster form, monster form, monster form until she's killed. Then she turns back into this harmless looking woman. And there's this nope. sense of, no? Until she, Not until, just until dawn. Oh, sorry. Until, until dawn. Just yeah, until yeah. dawn. He doesn't have to kill her at all. No, he just has to keep her out of the tomb where she sleeps until dawn. Right. Okay. But there is a sense there of that none of her inhumanity is her fault because the monster mm-hmm. in the episode is the king. But also that even once she's turned back into a human, she tries to kill him. Because she's still herself. Yes. Yeah. That's all she's ever known. Just because her body has changed, that's not what makes you a person or not a person. Mm-hmm. Mm, and Geralt, you can tell, is very frustrated because he's kind of hoping <laughs> that this monster is going to be another of the ones that he can reason with. And, you know, once he's mm. whacked it a few times and he can just shout it into, just go away and stop hurting people and then we'll all be fine, right? Yep. And mm. it's, there's a sense of tragedy that he can't do that. With this particular monster. Shall we move along to Yennefer? Well, no, there's one more thing I wanted to talk about briefly here, which was the broader world building, uh, the debate of who gets to be human inside the world. There's a lot of stuff around elves Mm. and the fantasy racism. So the Witcher treats elves quite similarly to how Dragon Age has treated them, right? This is a race in the Witcher who was there before humans, and taught humans um, and gave them their magic and humans took their land from them, forced them out and killed them and now view anyone who's mixed race as kind of an abomination. Like, um, I'm I'm not entirely sure. This is Polish, so I don't know the intended reference, but from this show and from a Western point of view, it certainly looks a bit like looking at indigenous um, people's treatment in colonized countries. Yeah. Yeah. And... I just wanted to make a note about the the theme of, of inhumanity and appearance not being what makes you human mm. or not um, is probably the most obvious in the episode that is about series parents. Yes, about the <clears throat> about the princess who falls in love with this mysterious cursed person who I think that they, what they describe as a knight of some kind. Yeah, he's a knight. Yeah, so he's a knight who has been cursed to appear monstrous in a very Shrek kind of way. (laughs) Uh, Except he does look like a hedgehog, which is 
unfortunate, but also slightly hilarious. <laughs> and this princess is saying, yep, this is this person has, you know, fallen in love with me. I fall in love with him. And again, there's this sense of destiny that he deserved the princess by the law of surprise. Which I wasn't in love with. No, that was a bit weird. How much older than her are you, buddy? Like, are we meant to also extrapolate that now Geralt is meant to marry Simi? Because I don't think anyone's happy with that. Yeah, it's a little bit, I mean, yeah, it's weird. I mean, and we didn't really get to talk about the the longevity of everyone because everyone just lives for millions of years and like no one ever ages even though this show spans like probably what let's see if you go back to yennefer Um, i think it's like a hundred years or so yeah yeah a while a long while more than more than a couple generations some people age but the royals don't seem to or at least the sintron royals don't anyway it's it's hard to say yeah but let's Well, we just brought her up, so let's talk a little bit about the one big kind of blot on this show, Mm. for uh, for me at least, and I think for a lot of people, which is how this show treats Yennefer, and how they chose to portray and give her arcs. Mm -hmm. And um, so Yennefer begins this show as someone with several physical disabilities. She has partial facial paralysis and a spinal curvature, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a great essay uh, in Uncanny Magazine called Toss a Coin to Your Bitcher, uh, which has a disabled author giving their point of view on how this affected them, uh, which I very much recommend reading. But the basic arc is that Yen learns to use magic and decides that she can only be powerful if she trades her womb for becoming beautiful. And becoming beautiful means removing all of her disabilities. Yep. There is a secondary, equally if not more unpleasant reading of this entire plotline, which is Yen at one point confesses, as if it is a shameful thing, that she is part elven, that her father was half elven, and that this mixed-race heritage caused her to be deformed, essentially. And so we now have the implication that being mixed-race is a disability, and the cure for it is to sterilize yourself. Yeah, it's not That's great. fucked up. That's, uh, that's fucked up. I don't think I had heard that reading of it before, but when you lay it all out like that, whew, wow, mm. fucked up. And I think, look, the annoying thing is that there are some interesting character arc bits in there that if it had been treated Mm. in a different way and used different costs and benefits it could have been an interesting arc for Yennefer that she makes decisions based on the thing that she wants most at the time based on how badly she has been treated um, but it's a short-term goal that then has long-reaching implications and you can do that in an interesting way without having to pour yourself so horribly into this whole idea of ableism and then also yep. have her become completely obsessed with having a kid only because she now can't have one of her own body. Like, yep. she yep. literally says something along those lines that the reason she wants it so badly is because she doesn't have the option of having it anymore. Right. And she just wants someone who will love her unconditionally. Which is not a good reason to have a child. <laughs> Have you ever met a child? (laughs) Fantasy danger land where you are running around under attack all the time. Which people tell her. They're like, it's not a good lifestyle for a kid, Yen. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Oh. 
and anyway. Like, yeah. I think uh. that she had the opportunity to be like really, really complicated. And I think certain aspects of her were really, really complicated, but certain other aspects of her were too unwieldy and too clumsily handled to justify everything else, right? So could have done better with that is the overall consensus, I think, on Yennefer. Yeah, because she's a fun character when she's in other people's plots. Yeah. When she's not running around being like, I must have a baby. Like she's right. very fun. Literally, there's orphans everywhere. Just I'm like going pick to one. Paint a ram on my stomach that looks very much like fallopian tubes and attempt to get possessed by. Yeah, people. that was that was quite funny. Honestly, I'm like, so you basically just painted some internal anatomy onto yourself, and sympathetic magic's going to make that happen. Is that how that cool? Works? I'm going to be a vessel. Oh, okay. Because that's subtle. Yeah. <laughs> but I really enjoyed Yen. Like, when she, like, yes. I thought she was, like, the actress does a great job. She has some great lines. She's very enjoyable. She has some great dresses. She has some great dresses. She's yeah. really enjoyable to watch. I just wish her plots had been completely different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. I hear from people who have been in this and reading the books from the start that this is an improvement. Oh, is it? Yikes. Well... I mean, I guess the show had to work with what it was given. So well, and here's something that we were going to mention earlier, but I think forgot, which is, hey, there's no rape involved for anyone for yeah. this entire show. That's just not a thing. And I could easily have seen them deciding to put some of that in Yen's plot line because uh-huh. it, it echoes completely with the themes they were using. But they just said, you know what? No, we're not going to be Game of Thrones like that. Yeah, I think it does a better, I mean, like, it does a objectively better job than Game of Thrones in many respects. Um, there are people who aren't white who just exist because who sometimes just exist. people who aren't white exist. Yeah, yeah, they have lines and everything. <laughs> Incredible technology. How did we achieve this? Relationships and are important to people and bah. Yeah. Mm. Let's move on to talking about the narrative structure, shall we? Because this is super fascinating. <laughs> yeah. So, so when I was first watching this show, I too, of course, only had experience of this through Astolat's fan fiction. Um, and it took me several episodes to realize that things were not happening mm-hmm. concurrently. Um, and I remember being very confused. And then the sort of interest and fascination as it dawned on me what they were doing. Right. But then, rewatching it a second time, they do actually give you clues as to what's happening where. It's just that they're so subtle, they're, like, dropped into the narration. Hmm. We that... should probably tell the listeners what it yes. is they're doing. Okay, so they are telling the story in three different timelines. One of them mm-hmm. centered on Yennefer, one of them centered on Geralt, one of them centered on Ciri. Yennefer's begins when she is found by a sorceress and taken to... Hogwarts. Yeah. <laughs> yep. uh, eel Hogwarts. Yeah, evil Geralt's magical be- eel transformation evil Hogwarts. Mag- magic Hogwarts. Uh, fantasy Hogwarts. <laughs> if you fail newts, you'd get turned into an eel. Yeah. Yep. Uh, <laughs> that's why it's called newts. <laughs> that's why it's called newts. <laughs> Geralt's begins with the... Renfrey. Renfrey, that's right. And series begins uh, just before the uh, Nilfgaardians arrive to kill her whole family. Woo! Hooray! Yay! <laughs> uh, 
So they give you clues about like when this is set, because in episode one, I think at this banquet before the Nilfgaardians attack, Siri offhandedly mentions something about like a song about Calanthe, her grandmother, uh, winning her first great victory at the age of like 16, right. uh, which is what Siri, like Siri's age now. Uh, and then a couple scenes later, you hear Renfri mention yep. to Ger- Geralt that, oh yeah, and Calanthe just won her first battle. Yep. Um, so that's how you're supposed to know, except in episode one, you're still learning the names of everyone, and so you can't be expected to actually notice that. Yeah, whereas by the time... But it is super cool. Yeah, and by the time I watched the show, which was after the rest of the internet had already watched the show <laughs> yeah. and written several think pieces about its narrative structure, yeah. I knew that the timelines were fucked going in. Yeah. And so I was keeping my eye out for those kind of things and just assuming that anything could be happening at any time and it would all come together at some point. Mm-hmm. I must admit, I was never entirely certain, even knowing that the timelines were weird and being on the lookout for cues, how Yennefer's stuff fit into everybody else's because there was less overlap. Mm. So sometimes hers would intersect with Geralt's and sometimes you weren't quite sure if something was happening between the two times that they had met each other or it was a little bit vague, but luckily you didn't really need to know. Like, it's not but, that important to know when Yennefer's stuff happens. And I think that's why happens. it works so well. Because yeah. by and large, it doesn't really matter apart from the parts where they touch. And that, it's very clear to work out what's happening. Mm. Yeah. Um, but this, it gave me a lot of the fifth season feels. Mm. Oh, yes, because of the multiple weird narrative structure. I right. love that. Mm. That was my favorite trick of the book. fifth yeah. season. I think, though, that the fifth season is doing a very deliberate thing in terms of when it wants you to work out the timelines. Mm-hmm. Sure. Whereas The Witcher, sure. I was quite impressed because normally this kind of show would just say look we're going to tell the timelines in a weird order but we're going to give you a timestamp. you know now it is this place this year to help you keep track of things and someone made a very deliberate choice that they weren't going to make it easy which suggests (laughs) that they want you to be slightly confused and questioning and actively trying to work it out for the first couple of episodes Mm -hmm. which i like i think that's nice that they are not spoon feeding you but also i couldn't quite work out what the point of it was narratively yeah, what, like there was no real benefit to you being a little bit confused as to timelines for the first two episodes. Whereas in N.K. Jemison's, there is a point. Right, mm. there's a payoff. There's a payoff. So I yeah. don't mind being made to work hard and think about timelines, but I couldn't quite see how it actually contributed to the overall narrative. Yeah. I don't know. I feel, for me, a lot of the stuff, like with Game of Thrones in The Witcher, that made me really enjoy it was background world building like general environment stuff and for me like not knowing quite what was happening when and where made me pay more attention Mm. and kind of get more out of that but i don't know how deliberate that Mm. was Mm -hmm. but i do think it's cool that they're trusting us to not spoon yeah absolutely whereas i think for me because i think it interacted with my frustration of the fact that you're right about the iceberg model of world building and that you did get a great sense of depth, but everything was just touched on so briefly and lightly. Mm. I felt that that in combination with the times being mixed around meant I never quite had a chance to catch my breath. Like I would have in, I would have appreciated a little bit more stillness to learn a little bit more about one corner of the world or one aspect of the world building before we moved on to the next. Like they fit so much into a fairly short season. <laughs> And I would have liked it a little bit more if we had spent a bit more time in any one place or with any one aspect of the world. I I can see that being a preference thing. Yeah, Yeah. no, I think that that was just something about me. I'm sure other people would feel differently. 
Also, I'm wondering if in season two, they're just going to be more linear with the narrative now that they've brought all three. I feel like they'd almost have to. Yeah, unless they have like flashbacks to um, Emir and more flashbacks with Geralt. Oh, I hope we get that. That Yeah, me too. That would be cool. That would be really cool. (laughs) I realize that we are not going to get Siri has two dads like in the actual show, but like a girl can dream. A girl can dream. That's what I did also want to mention one cool thing I saw structurally on this rewatch that I hadn't noticed last time, which is Alex, you've played a bunch of Dragon Age stuff. I have, yes. Did you notice all of the like, I'm walking down a corridor hearing ambient conversations from rooms around me? Yep. And also the like, I'm going to read someone else's diary to solve this mystery. The part that got me, the part where I was like, oh, this is video game shit, was two parts. One, whenever Geralt takes a potion, I'm like, oh, this is like video game. Like, oh, you're doing a power up thing. Cool. Uh, I'm with you. Uh, And two, the scene where they're hunting the Striga and the sorceress like, searches the room to find the thing to find the clue i'm like oh this is also some video game shit neat i'd be interested to know if the the people who run and write and direct the show have played the witcher video games and whether they've been you know henry cavill has whether they've been influenced by that structure in how they are shooting the show or if it's just Mm. that the books are very video gamey and lend themselves to both a game adaptation and a tv adaptation that has game aspects can't imagine that's true quite that much well here's the thing i forgot to mention that i've also been listening to an audiobook this week and it's the last wish which is one of the witcher books oh, um because i wanted to prepare a little bit and it is a, the like the book itself is a little bit video gamey because Geralt uh does like take some potions before the fight with the striga <laughs> and like does actually wander around just talking to his horse <laughs> um so it, it has some aspect i think there's elements of the books that make it a very good g- video game and i think that that also translates very well to the television screen as well. So Macy, you want to yell at us about siege engineers. Please, Macy, Macy, please yell at me about siege engineers. This is my favorite thing. You know it is, Macy, please. I know it is. This is why I brought you the good shit. Are you kidding me? Come on. I'm ready. My body is ready, Macy. (laughs) This is very weird. Alex, this is the closest you've ever come to hitting on a woman. Um, (laughs) Talk to me it's about not siege you, engineers, baby. Siege engineers. <laughs> I am aware of that, but like I'm still sitting here in between Alex and the object of their affection, and it's mildly uncomfortable. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'll, I'll chill it out. Let's talk. Okay. So there is a scene in, I think it's even in episode one, basically, where um, Hedgehog Julius Caesar's <laughs> large army. Yeah. Um, <laughs> It's his name now. It's his name. Pause. Spoilers for things that have not actually shown. Yeah, pause. (laughs) I could not quite work out if at that point this person is still alive because they're like, Siri's parents disappeared in a boat. Oh, that's canon. Yeah. 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 That happens. That was in a bunch of Astolat's fix as well. Yes. But (laughs) I couldn't quite work out if they decided that Pavetta was dead (laughs) and Juni was dead. Or that if doesn't... Hedgehog Julius Caesar is actually behind the whole campaign. Hedgehog thing. Julius Caesar has to be behind it because they're after Siri. The entire army, the all of their motivation is get Siri. Yeah. And it wouldn't be if it weren't for Hedgehog Dad. Yeah, but that's yep. very, very vague and relies on fan fiction. <laughs> anyway, at I this point am... in time, none Listen, of the audience knows. I'm going to put my tin hat back on. Okay. Anyway, Love this for you. Tin hat Macy. <laughs> There is a scene in which the Nilfgaardian army, if I must refer to them in sensible human terms, Why? attempt to get inside Queen Calanthe's 
castle. Um, and they do so by trying to stab the gate with swords. Yeah. <laughs> what what like, could they do instead, Macy? Pray tell. Have you heard of a fucking battering ram? <laughs> like, literally any other object. Like, you could fucking tie a raft of corpses together and use it to hit the bloody thing. You're not you using could... a fucking sword. What is it, a fucking tree? You could... Are you chopping it down? Do you have an axe? You could bring some ladders is another thing you could do. <laughs> you could bring some ladders. Because yeah. they have, ladders. like, these big old windows just in the side of the wall. So yeah. you, could, you didn't even have to go this up all the way to the top of the wall. Castle. You could just, like, go this up... This is a palace. Yeah, you could just go up part of the way to the wall and get, go right in the windows and be comfortable. <gasps> there you go. See, Macy... This explains why subconsciously I did not believe that Hedgehog Julius Caesar was behind this attack. So I'm like, right. Emir would have been so much smarter than this. Yes. He would know right. how to attack a fucking right. castle. And then there's another bit earlier on where they have this massive pitched battle between two armies. And they're like, we're going to have massive ranks of infantry and a long row of one horseman. <laughs> in front of it that's just going to go charging down and nobody brought pikes because nobody told them there were going to be horses. I feel like Emir is just standing in the background of all this going, this is why it was so easy for me to take over because you people have no vision, capital V. <laughs> Emir, like, uh, looking like Tan from Queer Eye, like, <laughs> get some style. I feel like this is Do very a French much talk. interfering with our ability to enjoy the show. <laughs> Adequately, because secretly, just saying, we just really, really want Slytherin Emperor Dad yeah, to appear and be true. amazing. But also, we just did a whole, emp- a whole empire, a whole episode on battle tactics. And I feel like this show would have been significantly better if any of the writers had listened to our episode on battle tactics. Or yeah, even just watched but the they don't like, care about Alexander battle tactics. They care but, about stuff being hit with swords, Macy. Yeah, it's this not good television. This is a sword-driven TV show. <laughs> Yeah, the sword is a metaphor. Yeah. 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 And we also did have a brief uh, off-air discussion before recording about the funnel battle scene with all of the sorceresses who go into <laughs> metal wearing their beautiful couture gowns. They're valid? Yes. They're valid. They are not valid. None of them even have potions or fucking shield spells. They are vulnerable to arrows. One of them catches on fire. They yeah, are just they there do. for the style. They, they stand there decoratively, shooting spells off, and then occasionally one gets like hit and shoved into the mud. You're like, oh no, there goes 25% of our defensive power. Yeah. Because someone right. whacked her in the shoulder with a very small weapon. They also don't do a great job of working together. They're like 25 individuals. But they're not trained just to. So, yeah, they're not trained to. They're trained to be individuals and to work alone in a kingdom, like talking to kings and like like baby, being hot. babysitting the kings and being hot. <laughs> right. They don't yeah. know actually have any like strategy or working together. They could have had like this uh, badass magical one... shield wall. Fuck. <laughs> they're one supposedly like expert military dude the only magic he does is lose his sword and summon bigger swords listen, I'm just like, listen have you considered Macy. fucking putting one of those glove things that they put on children tie it to your sword <laughs> tie it to your wrist like how like with a surfboard i listen i was so distracted by how attractive that man was every time he was on screen <laughs> I was like, I don't care what you're doing. I don't care how stupid your sword retrieval power is. You're so pretty. I just sat bolt upright and just watched him. He uses up his magic because he drops his sword. Okay, enough of this nonsense. Macy. Macy, he's he's perfect. He's a himbo. He's He's perfect. He's very hot. We all think he's very hot. Macy, enough (laughs) of this nonsense. Tell me about some music, Macy. (laughs) 
I'm too gay for this. I'm I know. too gay. Um, yes, yeah, so I know, babe. <laughs> so, okay. I am also too much of a musician not to have noticed that. So there is a hilarious scene after the I will get naked and paint a uterus on my belly and become a gin oh, vessel Yennefer. for reasons. Choices, yeah. choices. Yennefer. That's <laughs> gin like genie, not gin like the liquor. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's yen. I wouldn't put it past her. Um, in which she and Geralt, like, battle destroy an entire mansion fall through the ceiling lie in the rubble and then look at each other and immediately no she teleports them down because the genie is about to kill them and she's like whoop no she does one of her portal things because she's so good at the portals and she goes whoop no we are in the living room now and now we're going to have sex no into the sex basement they went to the sex basement which is logical and then they fuck but um why the whole time so so like we have to talk. We haven't talked at all about Yaskia, so I'm going to throw it to you next, Wonderful. Alex, because mm. we need to. But Geralt has a bard called Yaskia who rehabilitated his reputation using a song called "Toss a Coin to Your Witcher," the best song in oh, the world. Valley of Plenty. Okay. Oh, Valley of Plenty. I, and yes. I'm going to say this song is the most earwormy thing ever. I love this song because this song has saved me on countless occasions from more annoying earwormy songs. One time, one time I was in the art store and someone was playing Baby Shark on their phone for their child (laughs) and I had to walk away and sing Toss a Coin to Your Witcher to myself. But only the chorus because his verses are shit. Yes, yes. Anyway, we were talking about Yen fucking Geralt. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. The heterosexuals. Uh, the, the chemistry... I, anyway, it doesn't it, exist. They I have, like, divorced, tired parent energy. And they <laughs> never managed to show <laughs> the preceding sexy. part of the energy. Like, it's you're like, at sexy. one point, these people were maybe attracted to each other. But we never yeah. really see it happen on screen. Yeah. Both of you sit down and shut up for 30 seconds. Because I have a point. Sorry, Macy. Go ahead. <laughs> Serpents. Yes. Sit. Stay. Okay. Right. So there we were in our sex basement watching Yen get fucked by Geralt. Or probably the other way around. Frankly, it's Geralt getting fucked by Yen. She pets. And as it is wont to do, the show starts up with sexy background music. Um, And I'm like, hold on a second. I recognize these chords. And it's not Yen's theme. And it's not Geralt's theme. It's a fucking modulation of fucking toss a coin to a witcher, which is Yaskia's That's because theme. Geralt is thinking about Yaskia. Goodbye. It's because Yaskia is in their sex scene, in the music. I mean, one could argue, really, that the, pu- the fucking the is, the coin, is the coin that Yennefer is tossing <laughs> to her witcher. She's like, thank you for your help. Except she really doesn't think he helped. No. She really doesn't. Anyway, I'm mad at the musical scorers. If they did it on purpose, if they didn't do it on purpose, I don't know. But like, they very clearly inserted Yaskia between Geralt and Yen, and I think Yaskia would be fine with that. And then made him watch through the window. I know. I feel like what it was is that that was what was playing in Yaskia's Mm. mind as he watched. Uh... It was just like a slightly overwrought (laughs) version of the music that he wrote for Geralt (laughs) while he watches Geralt fuck someone else and is like, I'm having extremely mixed feelings about this. Oh, this this scene is from Yaskir's point of view. I see now. Okay. Oh, God. But no, there is also, there is also, like when we were talking about the husband's show, Yo, these many years ago. um, Person of interest. (laughs) 
I do this just to annoy you now. I know. Um, yeah, I know you know. There is a Geralt theme that you can tell when you should start paying attention to the screen because he's about to do something badass because yeah. something in the background goes down, 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 down. I'm so glad we have you to notice these things for us, Macy. <laughs> yeah, me too. But it does though, right? And now yep. you'll know. And Yen has one as well, but I'm just like, you could have used either of those for the fucking. See, you notice these things. I'm probably just having thoughts about the clothes at any given time. The only music thing that I noticed was the badass hurdy-gurdy that is in some of the some of the songs and i i think i first heard it in the scene where Geralt is battling Renfrey, and i'm like fucking yes this is like some rock and roll hurdy-gurdy shit and i'm here for it <laughs> listeners if you have never heard a hurdy-gurdy it's like if run, bagpipes run now it's like if bagpipes were a string instrument uh, it has that You're not wrong. It has that kind of like wailing droning quality to it, which could be very <laughs> extremely annoying if played by a person who doesn't know what they're doing. Or one who does. Or one who does. Also that, yes, correct. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, anyway, we have well, seven minutes left. Freya. We have seven minutes left. Excellent. I have a game for you. I love games. Done. This game is more of a creative exercise. But given that we all really enjoyed this show, but had thoughts about <laughs> our own specific individual favorite aspects of it and or how it could be improved, my question is, if you were suddenly approached by the powers that be and given a large amount of money and directorial showrunning vision mm. and said you can do a spin-off or remix show of The Witcher, what show would you do? Mm-hmm. See, I think and you can also us... tell me about the fandom that this show would have because I enjoy that kind of thing. I think each of us kind of went, who would this show be? Because that's yep. kind of how spin-offs work, right? Yes, yes. You pick a who. Yeah. And I went straight away to what if we cast Renfrey as a kind of crossover Miles Vorkosigan with Robin Hood. That's wonderful and okay. I love it. Tell us about the season arc of this show. This is the... Sorry, I've lost my ear and I will not scream. I will scream. Hang on. <laughs> Listen, fuck off. I uh, it, you're doing just, a great In job. case you were wondering, Macy is not actually losing body parts before our eyes. <laughs> her, her earbud fell out. <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. Everything is fine. I'm going to uh, leave that in. My <laughs> <laughs> We were talking about Renfrey. Trying to. (laughs) Trying to. Tell us about Renfrey Hood. Renfrey Hood. So Renfrey's backstory is basically that she is one of these uh, number of women who are born under an eclipse and rumoured to be kind of heralds of an apocalypse. The, what's it, the Handmaids of Lilith, is it? Something like that. Lilith. Yes, Lilith. Lilith. Yeah. Who is great. Um, And so she gets cast out from her home. She gets, I think this is the one, the one... Off scene, off screen mention of assault in the whole show mm-hmm. is that she basically says that the hunter that was sent to kill her by her father raped her instead. Um, yeah. And she runs away and manages to form this band of outlaws and run around like stealing things and making good. And that's the arc, right? Yeah. We start with Renfrey, possibly, I would say, alone in the forest um, with flashbacks to her life in the palace and forming this core of her loyal merry men um and becoming a bandit queen love that for her and then we have her fake her death 
in the Geralt scene and keep going Ooh. or like get resurrected as some avatar of something or other. I don't know. Yeah. She's yeah. too useful. There's lots of good options there. See what I'm good. doing though? Yeah. That sounds see. really fun. Freya, what would you do? Or do you want me to go first? Well, you go first. Okay. So as is surprising to absolutely no one, <laughs> uh, my show would be Yaskier's Amazing Adventures. It would be 100% Yaskier all of the time. Um, in his slutty question, in his, in, Alex. Yes. <laughs> would it be a musical? Obviously, it would be a musical. The Witcher itself is already a musical, thanks to Yaskier. Uh, but would the entire... musical numbers be the type that, like, the people involved don't know that they're in a musical number galavant. and they advance the plot? It'd be Galavant. It'd be Galavant, <laughs> basically. Yeah, because, like, Yaskier, I feel like Yaskier approaches his whole life as a musical, like, from his perspective. Yes. Like, he's scoring it. Like, he's scoring it, and he is, like, like doing dance numbers in his head. And, um... And sometimes on tables. And sometimes on tables like real. in real life, right. Um, he would be wearing his celestial doublets all of the time and going around he's with all of his, under- his underwear. All of his underwear showing all of the time, correct. Um, his trousers open, like his flyers down. At he all would be times. living his best disaster bisexual life, singing songs, being annoying, rehabilitating everyone's um, like image. personal reputation, their image, right, right, right. Um, and it would be an amazing show. I feel like it, it would, would be an episode of the week type thing, like a villain of the week type thing. Yeah. With like a very loose overarching arc. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas whereas Renfries would be more of a like this show is this this is going somewhere, she's got a purpose. Correct. Yasky doesn't really have a purpose per se. No, it's it's like a sitcom. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think he might accidentally legit. stumble across a purpose. Yes. Right. Possibly. Because yeah. I mean it's, like it's, it, he's a bard, right? And like they're always going to fall into some kind of chant bullshit. Yeah. Yeah. It is another manifestation of the show's inexplicable heterosexuality. Right. That we're meant to believe that Yaskia is not a disaster bisexual and is, in fact, a disaster ladies' man. Yeah, no. And you can tell the actor is not on board. Like, <laughs> yeah. He's like that is giving true. off all these lines about all the husbands who are chasing him or whatever. And meanwhile, he's like leaning with his hip cocked like this <laughs> and inspecting his nails and being like, yeah, yeah, I'm a very heterosexual. He has big bisexual sitting on things problems. Yes, he does. <laughs> but Freya, tell us about yours. Oh, and hitting on Geralt in the bath. Go That's ahead, Freya. Like stroking yep. Geralt's scars and the, yeah. Yeah, and putting chamomile yep. on his bottom. Yeah. <laughs> Complimenting his bottom. Please go ahead, Freya. Take us away from this nonsense. (laughs) Please. So the aspect of the show that I most wish I could see explored was the various hot sorceresses Mm -hmm. who are spread across the various royal courts of the world where their job is to babysit kings and look pretty and wear amazing dresses. Mm -hmm. And I want the Gossip Girl version of that. Yes. Where they all possibly have some kind of magical communication network Mm. and they have friendships and rivalries and probably some of them are in love and they're all solving their own little political things and sometimes the political things get big and they have to work together to solve them but mostly it would be yes gossip girl lady sorceress version that's amazing Did you also come out of the last two episodes weirdly like I'm like I don't know if I've just been reading way too much scum villain fanfic, but I really ship Yennefer and Tessaia now. Mm. Oh, I, I, I oh I see. Of, like tender moments in the last episode. Hmm. I don't know. I feel like I was still a little bit too much of Tessaia as uh, like a semi maternal figure, like in a very fucked up way. She's hot McGonagall though. 
She's yeah, she is hot McGonagall, and I love everything she wears, and I want everything she wears, and I possibly want to be her. Yeah. But I don't think I ship her and Yennefer. Whereas I could really be on board for Yennefer slowly becoming less uptight and intense through making friends and possibly girlfriends with Triss. Yeah. Mm. Who seems just really laid back and pleasant and a nice Tr- person. Triss seems really cool. I really like Triss. Yeah. Yeah. Like politically astute, but also just you know. Not quite on the same level human. of blood intensity as Yennefer and Cersei yeah. all the time. Yeah. Is yeah. Yenna Gryffindor? She has too much ambition to be anything but a Slytherin primary. Okay. She may be a Gryffindor secondary. She just keeps. I think doing she is things. because she makes impulsive decisions. She just keeps doing things. She's either <laughs> or she's like burned from trauma in mm. some way. Yeah. It's an interesting question, which I don't think we have time to answer on <laughs> air. Not. Dear listeners, no. please send us your opinions on what um, <laughs> houses Jennifer is in. Um, or or anyone else. watch the episode of the Sorting Hat Chats on The Witcher, which I believe they just put out. Oh, yes. Sorting Hat Chats has a podcast now and they're great. It's super cool. Yes. Uh, go listen to them. They're cool people. We like them. Thank you for joining us, dear listeners. Have a good evening. Good night. Goodbye. Hey, everybody. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Be the Serpent, a podcast of extremely, extremely deep literary merit. The episode is called Toss a Coin to Your Serpents, and so I'm going to take the opportunity to do a bit of shameless self-promotion by mentioning our Patreon. As of right now, I'm the only serpent who makes any money from this podcast, and that's because I get paid a little bit of money for doing the audio editing. The rest of the money from Patreon, quite rightfully, goes to paying our amazing transcription team for their hard work. They're the ones who collect the links that you find in the show notes. They're the ones who hunt up obscure fanfics that Macy mentions with one offhand reference. Uh, And they're the ones whose hard work means that this podcast is accessible to a broader range of people. We are so, so thankful for their work, and we are so thankful to our backers on Patreon who make it possible for us to pay the scribes fairly. Listen, though, we've been talking about some cool, fun projects that we could do if we could get a bit more income. For example, merch, maybe? We keep talking about it. Uh, But speaking less hypothetically, uh, we do offer a couple fun rewards for our backers. Uh, Every backer at every level gets access to Macy's monthly post of themed recommendations. Uh, These are fics and books and movies, all kinds of fun stuff, all of which are given the seal of approval by that bastion of excellent taste, your favorite English serpent. Uh, Backers at the $2 level get a monthly very bad drawing of a snake, courtesy of yours truly. His name is Jeremy. He is the mascot of the podcast. You can often find him wearing cool hats or sunglasses or taking part in a seasonal kind of activity. Uh, And backers at the $5 level uh, can suggest themes that they'd like to see for the aforementioned uh, monthly recommendation post. So if you would like to toss a coin to your serpents, and by extension, our fabulous transcription team, then mosey on over to patreon.com slash serpentcast. Now, all that said, we have some even more exciting topics to talk about in upcoming episodes. On the next episode, two weeks hence, on August 26th, we'll be discussing demigods and immortals. If you want to prepare in advance, one of the tentpoles for that episode is The Sorcerer of the Wild Deeps by Kai Ashante Wilson. So if you have a friend who's into stuff like that, maybe give them a heads up. 
In the meantime, feel free to continue the conversation with us. Questions, comments, breathless adulations? Contact us at serpentcast at gmail.com, at serpentcast on Twitter and Tumblr, or join in the conversation in our fan Discord chat, linked on the About the Show page of our website, which is betheserpent.podbean.com. Remember also that the episode 70 extravaganza is coming up, as we mentioned earlier, so send us your questions by the evening of August 28th Eastern Standard Time. And by the way, I love how you've paired a slutty doublet with a dress made of ropes. A very cool look. Well done. <laughs>